0: is, is it hard for you not to scratch that spot which is itching you? How hard is that? Not to scratch that spot which is itching you? Well, an itch is simply that uneasy, irritating sensation that's on the upper surface of your skin, which creates this desire to scratch because that action what is actually happening uh, is that it is, it is sending low level pain signals to your brain. When you're scratching that itch it is sending secondary pain signals to your brain which distract Uh, What it happens, it releases serotonin in your brain, which says this feels really good. So that's what's going on. But the danger. What's the danger of scratching? Well, the danger of scratching is one, that it could lead to bleeding. And in turn, that could lead to infections. And it will lead to more So if you got if you have an itch, don't scratch. We're told. Well, to have an itch also means to have a strong desire to do something, and so not just physically, you've got a physical sensation on upper upper surface of your skin, but also we use that expression, you know, to have an itch to mean that you have the desire, you really want to do something, and so. It may be this person has become in interested in something else or desires to do something. It may be they want to go somewhere. They have the itch to go somewhere. We use that expression. It may be they just want to try something new. They want to try something different. They want to participate in some activities that basically make them feel good. Now that can lead to a constant restless desire which in turn could lead to compulsive behavior and it just started as an itch but like with scratching yourself physically that irritated place on your skin satisfying an itchy desire does not remedy the root cause it isn't solved just a momentary sensation that really just feels good. And so in a world today, in which we live, where gratifying one's own desire is most people's God of first choice. For most people, scratching that itch, satisfying their desire is their God. That's the first God in Christians live in a time, in a dangerous culture, wherein we need to be careful that we don't listen to human reasoning, because it is constantly showing this desire of discontent that we want to do something else, we want to go somewhere else, we want to experience something new, something causing areas of itching in our religion, and it offers us soothing ways to scratch it. In 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, Paul warned Timothy about the itch, and he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching." but having itching ears. They got an itch. and They want to scratch it. And Paul warned Timothy about this. They're going to have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions
1: and will in turn turn away
0: from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So I want to talk tonight about not scratching that itch. Clearly, this passage makes aware to us that Christians can grow tired of sound doctrine. Paul In warning Timothy here about the times that will come where people will not endure sound doctrine, that is, they'll go tired of sound doctrine just talking about the world in general. He was talking about those who answered the call of the gospel and after they become Christians now they get the itch. And they want that itch satisfied with something else other than sound doctrine. I suggest to you men and sin have not changed that much since the first century. It hasn't changed much since lords, apostles, and prophets wrote the New Testament. And the reasons why Christians depart, the reason why Christians fall away from the one faith hasn't changed that much either. On the facade, on the externals, maybe look a little bit different, but at the core, it is still the same kind of problem. When Paul says here in 2 Timothy that they'll grow tired weary of sound doctrine. What does he mean by sound doctrine? Very simply, what he's talking about is that healthy, wholesome teaching that's from the Lord. That's That's what that's talking about. The healthy teaching, the wholesome doctrine that's from the Lord. And that's why Paul elsewhere in talking to Timothy as well as to Titus says this, and In 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, he urged Timothy there, even at the beginning of this epistle, he says, retain, keep, hold on to the standard of sound words, which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Why is he telling Timothy this? Because he he says the time's going to come. There's going to be disciples, believers, Christians who will grow tired of this sound teaching. Healthy teaching that's from the Lord. Wholesome teaching that's from the Lord. He told Timothy the same thing in a little bit different word, but it's the same principle. Titus chapter 2 verse 1 there. He says, as for you, talking Titus, speak the things which are fitting For sound doctrine. What does that imply? He said, well, everything's not fitting for sound doctrine. Everything that can be said, everything a preacher can preach, may not be fitting for sound doctrine. And so Paul tells Timothy, Timothy and Titus, y'all two need to make sure that when you're preaching and teaching, that you're doing what's fitting and right with sound doctrine. you have this word endure it talks there in 2nd Timothy chapter you know, 4 that they will not endure this sound doctrine what does that what does that mean well very simply to endure means to hold up or to bear with so that's what he's talking about here the sound doctrine that these believers these Christians would not they would not hold up sound doctrine they would not bear with sound doctrine anymore Christ's gospel, Christ's doctrine is not revealed to gratify earthly desires. God created us. and God created wholesome desires and there are proper ways for us to meet those needs and those desires. But the gospel of Christ is not written to simply gratify our desires. It's not written to soothe the itches that we get from time to time. And neither will the, will the gospel give you a release of serotonin in your brain so that you'll feel good about what you're doing. That's not what the gospel is all about. And that's why some Christians depart. Don't endure the wholesome Steadfast diligence is required. And it's required because to hold up a message that's not popular, to hold up a message that is not always sensational, to hold up a message that is neither satisfying physically at the moment, takes work. To hold on to and bear with this kind of message in a world that surrounds us not only religiously, but culturally, and everything around tells us to gratify every desire that you could have. That's the world we live in. And so to hold on to the the sound doctrine of Jesus, of the truth, a message that's not popular, a message that's not sensational all the time, a message that's not going to satisfy you physically every time, takes work takes diligence. The very purpose of the gospel is what? Well, the purpose of the gospel is to to convict consciences. To convict us. But not only to convict our conscience, but it is is designed to convert the heart. Oh yes, our consciences need to be convicted, but that's not where it stops, is it? The heart has to be converted. Changed. And then... Is designed to transform deeds. So with the conviction there comes the conversion. And with the conversion there comes the transformation. So that soul will be saved. That's the purpose of the gospel. It's not about scratching our itches. It's not about us satisfying our desires and our longings. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it talks about how all scriptures are inspired of God. God it is God-breathed. And, and what's this designed to do? Well, it's up for teaching. For teaching. That's what it's about. For reproof and rebuke and for correction in righteousness. Well, that's what the gospel is about. It's not about scratching itches. But we live in a world that Christians are tempted by the scratch because they've got an itch they're not enduring sound teaching Romans 1:16 says God's gospel the gospel of Christ the power of God to save all those who truly believe <clears throat> restless hearts restless souls What do they do? Well, they grow weary. They grow tired of the preaching and the pattern of the New Testament. They they want more than what this this God-breathed message offers them. Surely there's more to the truth. There's more to the experience. God is not about creating an experience that is soothing to us. God's about saving your soul and my soul that is damned without Jesus, without the way of Christ. People get religious itches. Christians can get religious itches wanting to do more, try, you know, wanting to try something new, something different. You know, want to, Perhaps they want to justify worldly activities. Or well, maybe they want to be more like so-and-so or more like this other person. Or, or maybe they, just, they just want more emotion. And then, so they want a, a, a more sensational experience. And the list goes on and on. All the different kind of itches that people get in their faith and in their religion. And so Paul tells us in his writings to Timothy and to Titus that Saints and Christians like us, we need to guard against falling from our steadfastness. Falling from our steadfastness. We are to guard against that. Remaining steadfast is not easy. It's not easy. To reign steadfast when everything is going against you. See me. But over in 2 Peter, you have the Apostle Peter writing. And in chapter 3 of his second epistle, you look there in verse 17 and 18. The last two verses of this letter that the Apostle penned by the direction of the Holy Spirit. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. And he just previously talked about unstable distortions of the scripture that comes through the teachings of men. He said, watch out for these people who don't have the understanding of God's word and they, they wrestle and, and arrest the scriptures to their own destruction. So he says, you need to guard yourself so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. And fall from your steadfastness. Guard yourself and your steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. What Peter's writing about is not a new problem. The idea of unprincipled men. The idea of error swaying those Uh, to question and doubt God's plan, God's word. From the beginning of time, from the very beginning of time, there in the garden of Eden, the devil began perverting and distorting God's words. That's what he did. He distorted God's word. So that Eve believed him, was swayed by him, and that manner of swaying people believe in God is very effective. Religious falsehood. Religious falsehood is an effective tool that the devil uses, Satan uses to distract and to mislead. Why? Because what what false teaching, what error does, it scratches the itch. It scratches those ears and it scratches those desires that we're wanting. We're wanting something more. We're wanting something different that's going to feel good for the moment. That's what's being wanted, and so people like to hear a message that's going to scratch them where they want to be scratched. And when you think about that concept, and the devil's doing that from the beginning of time, and basically his his, his His forces, his agents, it it has multiplied. So it's not just the devil in in you, it's the devil in all of his agents and schemes that surround us. We live in a world that has been sown with his tares, and those tares are flourishing. They're flourishing around us, and we're trying to trust God. Lead others to the Lord and hold on without being swayed otherwise. But when his tactics keep just coming and coming and coming, bombarding us in very unceasing ways, it's understandable that a child of God, a Christian, it's understandable that we can wear down. We can wear down. To the point that we are swayed away from a firm fixedness to the truth. That's understand. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right. But we understand how hard it is to be steadfast day after day after day, year after year after year, when it's not easy, when it's not popular. When it's hard, maybe, in our own personal struggle against our own weaknesses, it's not easy. And so when you think about the idea of distortions of the scriptures, how powerful they can be to distract a child of God, to distract a Christian that may be struggling, may be struggling personally to remain separate from the world. We're called to be separate from the world. We've died to sin. But sin wants to creep back. And we can understand how this this, this distraction, this distortion can kind of scratch the itch that we have from time to time. Or maybe the person is struggling to deny himself, you know, from his own personal wants and longings. It looks so green on the other side of the fence, doesn't it? It looks so green over there. And you think about the idea how well you know, look at all the good things being done by you know, those people in the community. I, I know they're saying some things that's so right, and and, and, and they got some, you know, they're teaching things that are not in harmony with the gospel. But look at all the good that they're doing in the community. Or what about you know you look at look at those hearts? Look how zealous they are. Surely you know, in such such hearts. Can't be wrong. Look how happy they are in their zeal for the Lord. Surely they couldn't have gone astray. But sound doctrine, sound teaching is not determined by man's thoughts or man's feelings. It's not determined by a preacher's thoughts and a preacher's feelings. Wholesome teaching, healthy teaching of our Lord is determined by the Lord. For example, it is the teaching that is from him. It is all that has been commanded by the one who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. Matthew chapter 28, you have Matthew's account of the Great Commission. Verse 18, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The Father gave him all of that authority. Put all things under him. And Jesus makes that claim. All authority belongs to me now. And he sends out his apostle to preach the gospel. The power to save. And he says, and you teach them to observe all things that I have commanded. That's the wholesome teaching of Jesus Christ. All that he has commanded. It is also the words which his apostles and his prophets in the New Testament... Have written the very words that are pinned down for us and preserved in these holy scriptures. In First Corinthians chapter four, verse six, he says, "Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written." That's what matters. What is written? So that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. What does the book say? It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what I think about it. What matters is, what did the Lord say? What is written there? Paul, in the same letter later on in chapter 14, verse 37, says... If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual... Now, in the New Testament century, in the early days of the church... Christians were empowered with miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit... To carry out the work of revealing and preaching the gospel. As he's writing to church where there were people who had gifts of the Holy Spirit... But he makes the argument and says... But if there is anybody who thinks he is a prophet, he thinks he is spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandments. Guard against falling from your steadfast. Well, how do I do that? Well, I need to hold fast and endure sound teaching, the sound doctrine of Christ. What is his teaching? What is it? Well, it's all that he's commanded. It is what his apostles, and prophets have written, for it is his word. It is also the apostolic traditions, which have been handed down to us to the saints in those scriptures. For example, in that small letter of Jude, right before the last book of the New Testament, so right before the book of Revelation, you got that one little book named Jude, and in verse three, Jude said. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. It says, yeah, I am writing so that you will fight the good fight of the one true faith, which has been handed down to us. Then drop down there in verse 17. He goes on to say, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that are spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. These words have been handed down to us. And these words record to us action and examples and patterns that are God-approved and Christ-ordained. For example, in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, you know, if you look there in chapter 2, as Paul writes there to the church, urging them to fight the good fight and to, and to oppose error and even to deal with some problems that you know, was present among them that needed to be corrected. Notice what he says there in chapter 2, verse 15, about traditions. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold... To the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. All traditions are not bad. All traditions are not all good either. But what are the traditions that matter the most? It's the traditions that have been handed down to us in the inspired word that Paul talks about here. Those traditions. The ones that have come to us in the scriptures through Christ apostles, and New Testament prophets. Chapter 3, verse 6, urges them the same thing. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life that is not according to the tradition which you receive from us. He says, When there's Christians that are taking a path that's unruly, that's not according to the traditions that we have received, he says, You need to Note that. And guard yourself against that. But, the fact is though, man often desires something besides sound doctrine. That's the fact. It's happened before, and it still happens. That the world not only desires something different, but sometimes Christians desire something different from sound doctrine. From that which the Lord has commanded, from that which the apostles have written, from that which the apostles, through their traditions, have handed down to us. In the moment, that's the thing. In the moment, scratching that itch feels good. And it feels really good. It's soothing. It's soothing to our faith. It's soothing to our religious practices. And we relish that relief. We realize the idea of of changing this unpleasant irritation I'm feeling to something that's much more comforting and much more enjoyable. And that's why it's so tempting. And that's why it's so alluring. But you think about it. All temptations, all temptations are an itch. Every one of them. No matter what, what kind of temptation you're talking about. The temptation is an itch, and we've all had them, and sometimes we still wrestle with them, and sin of every kind is the scratch. When that temptation conceives sin, what it is, we're scratching the itch, and in the moment, it feels good, it's gratifying, it's fulfilling, whatever it is, whether it's the pride of life, or whether it's the lust of the eyes or the lust of the flesh. It doesn't matter what kind of sin it is or what kind of temptation it is. It's an itch that wants to be scratched. And the devil and the world offers us temporary solutions. But the thing is, until the root problem is remedied, the itch is going to come back every time. We don't go to the problem. The it will always come back. Scratching will continue to be a false solution which causes harm. And in the spiritual realm, in the Lord's business, in the Lord's work, it leads to eternal separation and condemnation. That's why Paul and the other apostles are so urgent in their admonishments and their warnings against departing the faith what happens so often when a person does turn to scratch the itch is simply this he averts his ears so he doesn't hear the truth you ever done that maybe maybe there's been temptation and there's been a sin, and maybe someone confronted you at the time of that confrontation. They are coming to you out of love, trying to warn you, trying to bring you back. And what did you do? You didn't want to hear them. You turned to somebody else to tell you what you wanted to hear. So when a Christian gets entangled in sin, when we get ensnared by the doctrines of men that are not of the doctrines of it, what it is so often happens that person then cuts himself from those who speak the truth in love. Truth is a sword. It's a sword. And it hurts sometimes. But when we scratch the itch, so often we turn our ears. We avert our ears away from the truth to, to hear something that we want to hear. Because what happens is, the person... Puts himself in a position, or puts that person, he puts himself in a place to hear the things that will scratch you. Because the truth doesn't scratch the itch, it seeks a solution to the itch. But you see that repeated time and time again, don't we? And perhaps we've experienced ourselves. When we strayed and wandered away, where we turn to worldly friends. People offer us help, but who do we go to? We go to the worldly friend. Because they'll tell us what we want to hear. They're not going to disapprove of us. They may actually even encourage us to seek further gratification. Or we turn to erring churches. Now preach to us a message uh, of love and peace and comfort when there is none. Because it is not the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ. When we go beyond what God has spoken, anytime, when we go beyond what God has spoken, there are consequences. And the consequences are Spiritual. And they can be eternal. Jesus himself said in John 12 verse 48. If we reject him and the word that he's spoken. He says, he says I'm not the one going to judge you. Even though he's, he's on the judgment seat. And that's who we're going to have to give account to. He says, what will judge me in the end is the very word that he has spoken. The word that he's revealed. That's what's going to judge us. If we reject Jesus and what he said. The very word that he said is going to be our condemnation. When we go beyond what God's commanded, when we go beyond what is written, when we go beyond the traditions and the pattern of the New Testament, that very message is going to be our, our rule of judgment. Or in Second John, verse 9, another familiar passage that speaks of the seriousness of heeding the messages of the world The winds of Aries' doctrine that blow here and there, when he says in verse 9, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, the one who does not guard himself from falling away from steadfastness, abiding in the light, anyone who goes too far and doesn't abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. It's that simple. But the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If you want a relationship, if you want fellowship that's right with God and with Christ Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, it comes from abiding and staying in the teaching of God's Word. It does not come from scratching the itches of this world. And so we are warned throughout the New Testament to watch out for these kind of things. And so we do. We need to beware of the winds of deceitful doctrines. For example, you may you know, have heard, or you know, maybe in your own kind of thinking, you say, well, I don't think God, you know, our loving God, you know, will condemn me for that little sin. Maybe you thought that. Or maybe you've heard someone say that. It may, it may be like, you know, maybe it's with, with gossiping. Oh, I don't think. I know I shouldn't gossip, but I don't think I'm going to go to hell for gossiping. I don't think I'm going to go to hell because I'm living in a relationship with someone I love. I don't think God's going to send me to hell for being in an ungodly, unlawful relationship. On and on it could go. I don't think this, I don't think that, Where because God's so loving. Yes, God is love, but God is just and righteous and holy. And he's gone to great measures to save us and cleanse us. And so how dare we, how dare we diminish the gravity of sin? What does God say about sin? It doesn't matter what men say about sin. What does God say about sin? Well, over in Galatians 5, to many students of God's word, you're familiar with what he says here. He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. We know what the deeds of the flesh are. And he goes on to list several. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, enmity, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, factions, envyings drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. God says, and this isn't, isn't all of them. But we know what's a deed of the flesh. And he goes on to say... Of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you. So, Paul's not telling them anything new here. I've, I've warned you before, and I'm warning you again that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what God says. Don't listen to the world and scratch an itch and lose your soul. In 1 Peter chapter 4, if you, Peter writes similar words, reminding Christians of what their new life is all about. He says, you know, you know you don't live the rest of your life any longer for the lust of men, verse <coughs> you, but for the will of God. That's our purpose. We're striving to live for, for God's will, to glorify Him. You know, am I always perfect in that? Of course not. But I must trust Him and I must abide in Him. But he goes on to say, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality and lust and drunkenness and carousing and drinking parties and of idolatries. In all this, they're surprised that you don't run with them into the same excess of dissipation and they malign. You. That's what the world is. He says, You've been in the world long enough. I called you out of the world. Don't live in it anymore. And yet, you will find the person that will tell you that that little sin, supposedly, will not send you to hell. But that's not what God says. Or maybe you've heard something like this, where people talk about you know, other, other religious people. So They're such zealous believers of God, such zealous believers of Jesus. How can they be that bad? How can they be that bad? How can they be that wrong? And still be so zealous and fervent about what they practice and believe? What does God say about that in Romans 10? In Romans 10, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes this warning, beginning in verse 2, For I testify about, and speaking of, Hebrew brethren. People that Paul wanted to be saved. He said, I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. Paul is not arguing that they weren't zealous. He says, no, they are zealous. They have an intense zeal for God, intense fervency for God, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own Righteousness. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. You know, here are people very zealous and fervent about what they believe and what they practice, but it's not according to a knowledge, a true knowledge of God, not according to true knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they go about establishing their own righteousness, and it's not God's righteousness. Okay. There are people who tell you. Uh, How can can they be so bad, so wrong? They're so zealous. So it it must be okay. Well, zeal alone is not going to save you. And it won't save you if our life is not according to God's righteousness. And where are you going to learn that? Where are you going to decide where God's righteousness is and what it is? It's only by what God has said. But finally, another example, and that is some may actually say, well, that church is doing so many good things for the Lord in the community. How can that be wrong? How can they be so wrong? Look at all the good that they're doing in the community for the Lord. The argument is not that there's not good deeds being done. Once again, what does God say about those kinds of things? Jesus himself says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 Matthew chapter 7 verse you know, 21 through 23 the Lord Jesus Christ the Savior of the world says this when it comes to our service to God and our obedience to God he says not everyone who says to me Lord, Lord are the people who say this? Lord, Lord and then they kind of go their own way. Yes. But Jesus goes on to say, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not enough. Do I need to believe he's Lord? Yes. Must I confess that he's Lord? Yes. But I also must sanctify him as the Lord in my heart. That means the one who governs my choices and my thoughts and my words and my actions. The deed that I do. So it's not just about saying, Lord, Lord. He says, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. That's the one who is going to be blessed. That's the one who has a relationship, fellowship with God. The one who abides in the doctrine, the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He has the Father and he has the Son. But he goes on to say, in verse 22, Many will say to me, Jesus, he, he is for telling things here he said the time will come Jesus knows he's going to be the he's, he's gonna sit on the judgment seat on that great day and he says many will say to me Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name didn't we do this in your name Lord and in your name cast down demons and in your name for many mirrors Did we not do this, Lord? In your name. Jesus doesn't argue the fact that they did that. And in the first century, saints were able to do those things. To prophesy, to cast out demons, and perform many miracles. They were able to do that. And Jesus' warning, he says, and many of you Will make this claim to me, and in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What matters is what God says. That's the bottom line. It's what God says. What has been commanded, what is written, what is God's pattern? It doesn't matter what the word was saying what the word offers us. And whatever solution they try to surmise is acceptable before God. It's all part of the devil's battle tactics. All part of his schemes. His His demise and deceit of mankind. Offering everybody, us including, offering us very scratches to the itches that we get sometimes. Offering is a shortcut to the pleasure or a shortcut for relief. And God says, Beware. Beware of that. Guard yourself from the fall of your own steadfastness. Time has come that men turn their ears because they have itching ears to hear something else. They invert their, their hearing away from the truth and they put themselves in a place and in an opportunity to hear what they want to hear so they get to do what they want to do. And it doesn't matter how zealous they are, how, how, how kind they are, and how intent they are to do it in the name of the Lord. But if it's not the truth, If it's not of God's word, if it's not of God's will, it will not save them. And scratching that itch is going to to lead us farther and farther and farther away from what will save us. That's the danger of the scratch. It feels good, but there's a dire risk involved. Heed, God's word. It's like what God said on on that Mount of Transfiguration. When he, He told the apostles that were there with Jesus, He said, This is my Son. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Don't listen to the words. Of men, don't listen to the philosophies of men, don't listen to human reasoning, even though we have to use our reasoning abilities to study and learn and grow, even in a true knowledge. But ultimately, what we need to listen to is what has God said, not what He didn't say. What has God said? What has Jesus said? What is recorded? What does the Bible say? Because that's what is the power of saving where Beware of the itches of this life. They can be personal things that we wrestle with and dealing with temptation. Or it may be matters where we are discontent in our faith. Or maybe we're drawn away by the alluring nature of error. It could be anything. That we have this temptation. We have this itch. And we're trying to find a shortcut to... Scratch, to scratch it so I feel better. Instead of simply being diligently steadfast, always abounding, immovable in the work of the Lord. The Lord's work, not And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that offers us salvation. It is his power of grace and mercy and love that says that those who will confess, they will believe and confess their faith. That Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. And with that faith, repent of their sin and be baptized into Christ. God will forgive you. There is power in the gospel, there is power in the blood. But we have to believe it and we have to obey it. If we can help you any way this evening to make your life right with God, we invite you, encourage you to come forward, make your wishes known, and we stand and sing the song.